Job chapter number 42, if you'd stand in honor of God's word, Job chapter number 42. Good to welcome the students back from spring break. Glad you came back. That's good. Still got a little stretch to finish here. Seriously, we prayed for your safety and travel. Glad you got to have a break as well, for sure. Okay, uh, how about we go ahead and just begin with verse number one. That'll help us to catch the context. I know we have some here um, tonight for perhaps first time or joining us for this, this series here in Job. Sure want to do our due diligence to try to set the context and explain what we've been considering. And so this is Sermon 46 in our series in the book of Job. And uh, the series title has been simply this, and, uh, and it's, it's simple and yet profound, Trust God in the trial. Trust God in the trial. So let's read about that here a little bit uh, tonight. Verse number one. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. And this is God speaking. Job's quoting God. Um, Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge. And then Job is speaking, therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. And then God is speaking again here, Job's quoting. He says, here I beseech thee and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. Then Job uh, speaks again in verse number five and he says, I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. In other words, he says, I've gained an understanding better of who you are through all this. I've gained a better understanding. Well, if you go through a trial, that's what you ought to do. Gain a better understanding as to who God is um, through all of the trial. He says, I've heard of thee and now mine eyes seen thee. In other words, he's just saying, I've got a, I've got a better understanding now. Not that he had a heavenly vision or anything like that. I've just, I've got a better understanding. Verse five. Now verse six, wherefore I abhor myself. I reject what my opinion has been is the idea there. And look at the next word is key and repent in dust and ashes. All right, verse 7 begins our text tonight. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said unto Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends. Well, I wouldn't want that, would you? Why? Well, God explains. For you have not spoken of me, the thing that is right. Notice this, he says it four times in the next, in these two verses, verse seven and verse eight. As my servant Job hath, therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly. 
in that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. I love this. Doesn't always go this way in Scripture, but when it does, I think we ought to enjoy it. Look at verse number nine. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Naamathite went and did according as the Lord had commanded, as the Lord commanded them, the Lord also accepted Job. That's good. So they did what God said. Look at verse 10. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job. Now, we, we need to understand what that means. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job. Notice this. When? So Eliphaz and his two friends did their part. The Lord turned the captivity of Job. When? He prayed for his friends. Also, notice this, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then, then came there unto him all his brethren and his sisters and all they that had been of his acquaintance before and did eat bread with him in his house. Remember these, they had forsaken him, but now they come and they have a meal together. It says, and they bemoaned him, which, which means they had uh, sympathy upon him and comforted him over all the evil. Evil there doesn't mean moral evil, of course, but it means rather the calamity, the, the tragedy that, had, that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money and everyone an earring of gold. So there was a, a monetary gift given to Job that really was just a token of their love and support to Job. And then verse number 12, and, and actually our text ends at verse 11, but it goes on to say, So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. All right, we'll save that the rest of the chapter for the final message, God willing, next Wednesday night as we consider basically the epilogue. And thank God he writes the last chapter. Okay, so we're going to see that. But um, if you notice... Verse 9, so Eliphaz did this. Verse 10, when Job prayed. Verse 11, then, this is what happened. Then verse 12, so the Lord blessed. So, when, then, so. That'd make a good title right there, wouldn't it? That's not what it is, though. Here's the title. The Relief of Forgiveness. The relief of forgiveness. Last time we were together, we considered it this way, the relief of submission. I'd like to tie back into that just a little bit, the relief of submission. But tonight we're going to consider this, the relief that which alleviates you, that which delivers you from stress and duress and anxiety, being overwhelmed, the relief produced by or the relief of Forgiveness. Tonight, I hope you see this. You need forgiveness as much as you need to give it. You need forgiveness as much as you need to forgive it, to give it rather.
So may God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated as we get into the message here tonight. I believe it's safe to say that we all struggle with forgiveness in different ways. Uh, Sometimes we struggle with accepting the fact that God has forgiven us. If you're saved tonight, you're washed in the blood. You're forgiven. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. I mean, even after you're saved, no doubt you've sinned. And yet the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us, it cleanseth us, and it just keeps cleansing. And that doesn't give us liberty or license to sin. That, that would be a misunderstanding of God's grace and a misapplication of grace, for sure. But maybe you struggle with knowing that God has forgiven you. I want to remind you again tonight, uh, church, as, as well as guests, God's forgiveness is a fact, not a feeling. Maybe sometimes you don't feel forgiven, but that doesn't change the fact of your forgiveness. We struggle with God's forgiveness sometimes. Sometimes we forgive it. We struggle with um, asking forgiveness of others. Sometimes we struggle with forgiving others. Maybe there's somebody in your past that, that you're struggling to forgive, or maybe even just recently, there's somebody that you're struggling to forgive. Hey, listen, I, 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 don't, I, don't, write, I don't write this. I just... I'm a messenger, all right? I don't even pick the timing of all this. I realize, you know, I'm deciding when we're going to preach this. But along the way, I I really trust the sovereignty of God and the providential hand of God in all this. So I I don't know what's going on in everybody's life here tonight. And I don't know if there's somebody here that, that needs the relief of forgiveness or the relief that comes by giving forgiveness. But I know that we, we all deal with this and either you are now or you will someday. One individual said this, he who cannot forgive others breaks the bridge over which he must himself pass. He who cannot forgive others breaks the bridge over which he must himself pass. Another individual said it this way, it is usually easier to forgive an enemy than a friend. It's usually easier to forgive an enemy than a friend. Maybe that's because from an enemy, we kind of expect it. But when it's a friend or family member, you don't expect it. Christ can forgive any trespass, but he can overlook none. Think of that, would you please? Christ can forgive any trespass. He can forgive any sin, but he can overlook none. Another individual said this, forgiveness is man's deepest need. You believe that tonight? Forgiveness is man's deepest need. And then he went on to say this, his highest achievement. Now, I I would qualify that by saying, you know, really, I'm only able to forgive somebody if the grace of God enables me to forgive somebody. And that's probably what the gentleman had in mind. I just want to be clear about it, that it's not natural for us to forgive. It's natural for us to uh, hold on to things. 
One more quote before we give our attention to the text here tonight. Forgiveness is more than the remission of penalty. It's more than remission or release of penalty. Somebody's done wrong and, and you're going to release that. that. That's good, but it's more than just the release or the remission of penalty. It should mean the restoration of a broken relationship. That's forgiveness. I'm talking about genuine biblical forgiveness. Uh, how many of us would agree with this? In theory or by idea, that makes sense. But when you're the one that either needs to be forgiven or you need to forgive, that can be tough. When you think about real life scenarios um, that get personal, that affect people, that have names to it, that have situations to it, uh, that's where it gets rather difficult. And yet the text that tonight I, I entered into this knowing that, you know, having an idea of it, but not really fully uh, comprehending it all and just studying it out, then certainly you'd, you'd have to say the text itself is, is speaking to the need for forgiveness. Uh, Job had already experienced forgiveness, hadn't he? And, and he repented and thus he, watch this now, this is very key. He had came to terms or come to terms rather with the greatness of God and, and had by that come to a place of submission and had received God's great forgiveness in his life. And so really Job is in a prime place then to extend forgiveness to his miserable comforters. It's obvious from the text that uh, the Job's three friends need forgiveness. They need God's forgiveness because otherwise, according to the text, they were faced with the prospect of God's wrath. And, and I just want to pause right here to say, if there's someone here tonight that is not yet forgiven by God, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross does not automatically forgive everyone of their sin. We, the Bible nowhere teaches universalism where, where God just automatically saves everybody. No, you need to acknowledge that you're a sinner, repent of your sin, turn from, turn from your, your own works or, or your own ideas, repent. Uh, there's a lot that's involved in that repentance and faith, but the essence of salvation is that I acknowledge that I am a sinner and there's nothing I can do to save myself, but that Jesus did everything that was needed for you to be saved. And when you hear that good news and you believe it and, and you trust Jesus as your Savior, I'm telling you, there's a great and incredible and infinite and eternal amount of relief that comes when you know that you know that your sins are forgiven and that the penalty for your sin has been removed and that the, you can sing like we sung a moment ago, there is now no condemnation. I, I, I will not face God's wrath. Well, that's enough to make you happy about it on a, in the middle of a week on a Wednesday night to realize we will never ever taste the wrath of Almighty God. But I must hasten to say if there's someone here tonight that does not know Jesus as Savior, then listen, the wrath of God is upon you, but it could be removed if you would trust Christ as your Savior. 
That's what the Bible teaches throughout uh, the entirety of the Bible. And so it's obvious that, that Job's friends here, they needed to be forgiven by God because God was going to deal with them after their folly. But they also needed Job's forgiveness. But in addition to that, the text is also dealing with this. And I don't think it's too much to deal with here tonight all in one sermon. But it is very true that not only did they need forgiveness, but also this, Job needed to forgive. He had to. He needed to, in fact, I think, even desired to do so. Just a little bit about the relief of submission. Listen to this. I, I had this quote and in the fury of preaching, didn't use it last time we covered Job. So here we go. It's one of the benefits of pastoring. You get to come back and finish your sermon from two weeks ago. He who had been so stoutly defending himself, talking about Job, and clearing himself of guilt before men is now in the presence of God, overwhelmed by the guilt of having criticized and misjudged the Lord. He has at last, Job, he has at last, I'm reflecting on verse number six when he says, I abhor myself. I was so wrong. I was so wrong, God, to say that you could be wrong. I was so wrong to say that, that you have misjudged these things. I'm so wrong, dear God, to say that, that, that you're anything but good. It says here he's at last entered into the peace of absolute surrender to the Redeemer. I'm telling you that once you finally surrender to God, there's a great amount of relief that comes by that submission to God. Listen to this. He goes on to say this. There's no more controversy. There's no more resentment. There's no more rebellious questioning. It is enough. Listen to this. It is enough for Job to know that God really cares. He cared enough to devote four chapters of loving rebuke to his bewildered and bitter servant. The cloud of silence and alienation has lifted and, and Job may speak to God once more and in confidence that God loves him and he's ready to hear God's voice. And now for Job, that's all that really matters is that, listen, I don't have to know and understand why everything is happening because I do know this. I know that you're God and I know that you're loving and you care and you're in control and I can trust that even if I don't understand why. That's where Job came. And there's great relief that comes when we come to that point. And, and here's what we covered last time, and then I'm moving on. The more that Job understood about the greatness of, of his God, the, the greater was the relief that came by his submission. He was glad to be submitted to God because he thought, what a great God. Why would I not want to submit to God? And I just want to say here tonight, before we do move on, to say this to you. If any, if any area of your life, you're wrestling with God and wrestling with God's will and thinking that God doesn't have your best interests in mind, I'm here to tell you, friend, he does. And he does know what you're going through. And the best thing that you could do today and the place that you're going to find real rest and real peace is not in trying to manipulate a situation to try to still get your way in some way. But no, it's this, to say, God, I can't handle this and I don't understand why it's all going on. But here's what I'm going to do. I am going to trust you. I rest my case and let you have yours. In other words, just let God be God. There's not enough room for two. Job found great relief right there. Now, as we move on, I want to make this statement. Ironically, it was Job's friends who needed forgiveness. 
I say ironically because the whole book, we've been hearing them say of Job, Job, the reason you're going through this is because you've got sin. In other words, they're saying to Job, Job, you need to ask for God's forgiveness. They had been calling Job to repentance since chapter number four when they began to speak. And ironically, it was not Job, though he did need forgiveness. I'm not taking that away. He did need forgiveness, but now they were the ones that were in danger of experiencing God's wrath. One man said this, much to the astonishment of these three self-assured theologians who had apparently taken up clubs in defense of God in Orthodox theology concerning God's sure, swift, and unerring justice, they now find themselves as defendants in God's court. Huh. Why? Well, I mean, you would think actually what it was, was God saying, I'm going to deal with you because you have falsely accused Job. Which, by the way, God... Hang on, everybody still with me here? Follow along. God doesn't take kindly to false accusations. He doesn't. He deals with that. But he doesn't say to them, listen, I'm going to deal with you in my wrath because you have accused Job of sin. That's not what God said. I'm sorry. Yeah, that is, that's what I mean. That is not what God said. God was not dealing with them because they had falsely accused Job. But rather this, God is going to deal with them because they had misrepresented God. They had believed the worst about Job. Listen to this. They had believed the worst about Job without any proof. So you're saying that he's a sinner, then provide the evidence that he's a sinner. There was none. I mean, we all understand Job was a sinner. No, there's no man living other than the Lord Jesus Christ who has not sinned, but, but there was no gross sin in Job's life that has brought about this, this uh, situation where he lost, by the way, his 10 children and lost all of his livestock and lost his health. That's not what it was. We have an insight. We have an understanding from behind the scenes that, that it was Satan saying, listen, God, the only reason that Job is serving you faithfully is because basically this, you bribe him to do so. That's what Satan was saying. And if you go back to chapter 1 and verse number 9, he, you think God, uh, that Job serves you for naught? You think he serves you for nothing? I, I tell you, nay, Satan is making his case in God's court to say, listen, the only reason he's doing that is because you're blessing him. And if you remove his blessings, he'll curse you to his face. Well, Job didn't do it. Job was faithful to God. Did Job struggle? Sure he did, don't you? We all do. We struggle with this. And, and so the Bible presents a real man that had real struggles, that, that cried out sometimes with some real difficulty in his life. But nonetheless, Job didn't curse God. He, he still held to his faith that, that someday God would make this all clear. He held to his faith that he would see his Redeemer and that he was in his flesh and that he would stand before God. I'm telling you, friend, even though Job had his struggles and struggled with the justice of God, thinking, why is this happening to me if I'm doing right? I'm, I'm doing doing right? Why is this happening? I'm telling you, Job still maintained his faith in God. He did. But here they were accusing him. I just got to thinking about it this way. What if we had allowed, you know, Eliphaz and Bildad and, 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 and his friends to come and teach Sunday school here at Southwest Baptist Church? What kind of lessons would they teach? They come upon the story of Joseph and they said, look here, Joseph is in a pit and I see now, and maybe they even have a flannel graph. See, here he is in a pit. And here he is in prison. 
There must be sin in Joseph's life. And then they come to the story of Daniel. And again, the flannel graph comes out. And look, kids, here he is about to be eaten by lions. There must be sin in, in Daniel's life. And look, kids, now it's, it's Paul. You follow me? Come on, just bear with me here just a minute. It's Paul, and he's chained, and he's going through the suffering. And they turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and they read how that he was beaten with stripes and with rods and shipwreck and snake bitten and all those things. And they would conclude this. Look at all the suffering that this man has gone through. I tell you, everybody else thought he was a righteous man, but we know he's a wicked man. You see, here is their problem. They had an element of truth that when you do wrong, there are consequences. But here's what they tried to do. They tried to put God in a box. And hang on, their theology was not big enough because their God wasn't big enough. See, here's, here's what they would do. They would do this. They would come to the story of Jesus and see him whipped with the cat of nine tails and see him spit upon and see him uh, having the crown of thorns upon his head and see him crucified. And their theology, I'm just going by what they say. I'm just going by what they said. I'm just going by the correlations that they made that they would say, see, he is suffering. He must be a sinner. And I'm telling you tonight, nothing could be further from the truth because he knew no sin. So I hope if one thing that we've learned from this study is that when you see somebody suffering, we cannot automatically think, hmm, there must be wickedness in their life. And when we see somebody prospering, we, must not, we mustn't always think, wow, they must be really serving God, because I tell you, they may not be serving God at all and still be prospering. It doesn't make sense to us. And because it did not fit the mentality of, of Job's three friends, then they, in some ways, hang on just a minute, they were trying to defend God. But I'm telling you, friend, God, who is God, does not need anyone like us to defend him. God does not need to be defended. God needs to be trusted. You say, well, they had an element, of, an element of truth in it. It does not matter if you have an element of truth. I'm telling you, he is true himself and he can only validate what is true. And he could say, yes, that's true and that's true and that's true. But you're off here. And thus they needed forgiveness. Desperately. Lest the wrath of God should be released upon them because of their folly. Because they hadn't spoken what was right as my servant Job has. He said, you know, I'm kind of surprised to see that. Because God had just spoke for four chapters bringing Job to, forget, to, to repentance. How could, he say, how could he say that he's spoken what was right? Well, you got to look at the big picture of Job's life. And Job was right about who God was and his greatness and all those things. We've already covered that. And so now, here, here's what's so ironic. God says to these individuals that desperately need forgiveness, listen, here's where you, how you're going to get forgiveness. You're going to take seven bullock, bulls and seven rams, seven male sheep, and you're going to take them, each of you. So if, if I understood this right, each of them were to bring seven. So 21 of each. Mercy. That's a lot of sacrificing. Well, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. 
So this is another indication. In fact, Job being the earliest book of the Bible in terms of what was recorded, that in Genesis, but Job probably one of the earliest book is showing us early on that if you and I are going to be forgiven, blood has to be shed. God takes sin seriously, friend, because the wages of sin is death, but the way to life is through the blood. And so God says to, to these men, these three, and saying, you're going to need to take this sacrifice, these seven of each of these, and you're going to need to bring them and sacrifice them there before, not, not unto Job, of course, but here's what I'm going to do. Job is going to be like a priest before you. How ironic that these men who had blatantly and persistently accused Job of being such a sinner that now God says to them, I want you to go to Job and ask for him, pray for you. You know, they might have said something like this, anybody but Job. I got to go to him to acknowledge that I was wrong. It's tough to do, isn't it? That's what he did. They needed forgiveness. I'm so glad that those who had been so hard-headed and argumentative, can I get an amen right there? These three, they've been so contentious with Job. The Bible just simply says this. So that's what they did. <laughs> they came to repentance and they received forgiveness and they were free. They had said things that were wrong. They had done things that were wrong. And, and listen, because of that, they faced God's judgment. And yet God, who is God, was willing to forgive them if they would acknowledge where they're wrong. I want to ask you tonight, where do you need to acknowledge that you're wrong? You're not going to have peace. You can't lay your head down and sleep if you're still holding on to some kind of secret sin in your life. Hey, here's what you ought to do. So they did exactly what God said to do. And you don't offer up bulls and calves and goats because that kind of blood can never take away your sins. But I'm here to tell you tonight, blood's already been shed for you. It's already been shed for you. In the book of, of Genesis, I just heard Aiden Rogers walk through this. Let me see if I can do this here right quick. In the book of Genesis, the blood had to be shed because Cain killed Abel. That was blood shed for one man. In the book of Exodus, it was killed for a family at the time of the Passover. At the time of the high priest, as he would offer up that, that sacrifice to God, it was for the whole nation. But when John the Baptist stood and he saw Jesus coming, he said, Behold the, sin of the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The blood of Jesus is sufficient to cleanse you of your sin, friend. There's no remission. There's no release of that sin apart from the blood that was shed. That is the ultimate sacrifice. That is the final sacrifice for sin. It is the only way that you can be relieved. Relieved. Released and relieved. You'll be relieved. Sometimes the mind is going quicker than the mouth can. They needed forgiveness. And if you've ever hurt someone or done something that you know you shouldn't have, you know what it's like to. And there is forgiveness with God. But listen to this. Just as much as they needed forgiveness, Job needed to forgive. Forgive. 
you're not going to make it through the trial. If you're holding on to some bitterness. Job, your friend, I, I wonder how this was. Job, I want you to forgive your friends. I find in the text, there was no debate from God, from Job. It wasn't like he said, God, Eliphaz, Bildad, so far, do you know how many chapters they've cost me? <laughs> Anguish and wrangling and time and tears and frustration. God, I am not just like that. I'm going to let this go. He could have had that attitude and, and, and maybe would have had that attitude, would have had that attitude had he not already experienced the greatness of God and the great relief that came by himself being forgiven. Because when you understand how great God is and you've experienced his forgiveness, then you, regardless of who has said something about you or done something to you or yours, you are in a place where then by the grace of God, you can forgive them. And let it go. I believe it was Oswald Chambers who said this, have you come to the win yet? Have you come to the win yet? Because the Bible says, when Job prayed, The captivity of Job was restored, was returned. God turned the captivity. What does that mean? That basically means this. Job got things back. Obviously, his 10 children could not return from the grave. And by the way, there's no replacement for a child that you've lost. Can, can I just say time out right here? If you know someone that has lost someone, a child, don't say to them, well, I'm glad at least you have other children. That's not thinking straight. And don't say, well, maybe God will give you more. That's not thinking straight. Because Job, hang on, this is really good. Job still needed the comfort of his friends and family and neighbors that came to comfort him over the loss of the children that he lost. Verse 11, he still needed that. Even though he'd experienced God's forgiveness, even though he now had perspective, hey, listen, he still needed that comfort. But did you notice the, the sequence here? Job did not have things restored to him. I mean, we're going to see in the next sermon that he had twice as much. I mean, the Bible already told us that. He had twice as much. He had 10 more children. He had all these camels, all this livestock. I mean, everything got restored back to Job. His health got restored. His wife's relationship, everything got restored. I'm telling you, everything got better. But it wasn't until Job prayed for them that is what sent it all into motion. And thus, that's why I'm saying to you tonight that just as much as his friends needed forgiveness, Job needed to give forgiveness. Spurgeon said, forgive 
and forget. He who buries a mad dog should not leave the tail out. Well, that's some deep theology right there. If you bury a dog that has rabies, a mad dog that's dangerous, don't leave the tail hanging out. Bury the whole dog. How are we doing? Why in the world would you leave the tail out? Well, just in case I want to bring that back up. Bring what back up? That dead dog that did me damage and trouble and was nasty to deal with. I just want to remember how bad it was. No. Bury it. Bury it. Too many Christians say, yes, I've forgiven, but... That's nasty, isn't it? That's nasty. It's nasty. Yes, honey, I've forgiven you, but... You follow me? We struggle right there, don't we? Yeah, we'll put a little dirt over it. Yeah. But then the next time something happens, Facebook. <laughs> Exhibit A. God said to Job, let it go. Because I can't bless you till you let it go. Am I stretching it? It's right there. I can't bless you. I can't use you until you let it go. I mean, there may be somebody here tonight that, I mean, somebody abused you or somebody used you or somebody said something about you. Somebody did something and it hurts deeply. And I, hey, listen, that's not minimizing. Didn't you see? God dealt with them. And God will deal with them. But the, the issue that we need to come to terms with is that I am not God and you're not God. And Job understood the greatness of God and he got back in his place so that when God said, Job, it's time to forgive even them, Job really had no problem in doing so because he understood who God was and he better understood who he was. And if God had been merciful to him, then surely he should be merciful to them. Because just as much as we need forgiveness, we need to give forgiveness. Because if you hold on to some form of bitterness, and bitterness will change who you are, friend. When Naomi came home, she said, don't call me Naomi or Pleasant anymore. Call me Mara. Because she'd allowed the things that had affected her life and come into her life to make her bitter and it changed who she was. And some of you may be different today because you've let bitterness just kind of find a hold down deep in your soul and you're hanging on to that and you're not letting it go because if you let it go, then who's going to deal with it? Wait a minute. Did you just hear what you said? If I let that go, then who's going to deal with it? Is there not a God in heaven? Is there not a God in heaven who can handle that better than you can? Then I, I urge you, and I realize there are legal matters that must be dealt with, and there are, there are trust issues that must be dealt with and thought through, and, and forgiveness can be instant, but trust takes time to be built. But I'm saying to you, I understand all that, but it does not negate the fact that, that listen, if you're holding on to something that has caused you bitterness, 
It's like you're drinking poison and hoping that it hurts the other person. It doesn't work that way. Bitterness hurts you the most. You need forgiveness as much as you need to give forgiveness. Here's why. Because there is great relief that comes when you know. Have I said this lately? Some of you know where I'm going. I'm telling you, I haven't timed all this myself. I'm not smart enough to do that. You follow me? You're going to find great relief, though, when you, when you come to the place where everything is okay here, when everything is okay here. We did a lot of this over the last few weeks about the Lord's Supper. Everything needs to be right here. Everything needs to be right here. Maybe God is getting down to where you are to say, it's time to ask forgiveness and accept it. Or it's time to give forgiveness and bury it and let it go. Then, do you see the progression? So, when, then, so. So they did that. When Job did this, then God blessed here, so God did this. But all this is not going to happen until you do your part. Because you need forgiveness as much as you need to forgive it. Let's stand together here tonight. So easy, God, to hold on to something that you've put on our hearts that we ought to let go. I don't, I don't know tonight, Lord. You know my heart. I've wrestled with this all day. And even just in light of the cross and, and other, other factors, just, just wondering, is it the right time to preach this? But God, I, I trust you and you know what's on everybody's heart here tonight. You know what's in their circumstances. And God, you know where there needs to be forgiveness given and where there needs to be forgiveness sought. <clears throat> and I pray that you'd help us here tonight, dear Lord. I thank you for the way that you helped Job in our series. I believe you've helped us, and I praise you and thank you for it. I know that ultimately we just need to trust you in the trial, and that would apply here as well. <clears throat> and so I pray tonight, God, that you'd help us like the three and like Job, that you'd find not defiance, not despair, but obedience, ready obedience no hesitation. God, I pray you'd help us to see your greatness as the solution to how that can happen. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing, we're standing, and uh, Brother Aaron has picked out this song for us to sing tonight. Have thine own way, Lord. If God has spoke to your heart, would you come?